Thank you, Trevor. Stephen, that was perfect. Where are you? Where'd you go? Thank you, Stephen. That was wonderful. Um, grateful for the courage. Grateful for your trust in God. He's a healer. Those who are not healthy don't need a physician. Or those who are not sick don't need a physician. So, amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord. These men have had a hard, long week. Many have traveled a really hard and long journey. And uh, Lord, they're tired. But Lord, they came here to meet with you, to be encouraged by you, and um, to become more like your son, Lord. I pray that you would meet each man. Please hear um, their prayer. There's a lot of burden. There's a lot of heaviness. And there's a lot of need for encouragement, Lord. I pray you would meet each man where they were, where they are. Protect them from hearing anything that is not from you. May we celebrate you. And may we uh, fellowship in your name. Amen. All right. So Trevor has me backed up against refreshments. Right. So... I'll be done in about 12 minutes, and we'll, uh, we'll be able to get on. Um, it, just a quick disclaimer, um, for those who are here for the first time, this is coming up on my 20th, I haven't been here all 20, but this retreat's been going on for about 20 years, and I've been to a lot of them. Almost everything good flows from some truth or some friendship, something that has happened in retreats like this. Um, I'm in sales, so it's my job to make you feel like your investment's worthwhile, but um, I can tell you that the men that are here are worth getting to know. If you are here, you you paid a big price to be here, and you're here for the weekend, get to know some of the men that are here. They are wonderfully faithful men and will help you if you're serious. Okay. I'm really happy to be talking with you guys today about this for one reason only, is that I'm tired of going around to my wife and kids this past week apologizing for being a terrible leader. So now I get to talk to you about it and then I get to move on being ignorant from here on out. All right, these are the four auditors I'm bringing to this conversation. Many of you know them. Uh, My wife, Carrie, have been married 15 years. That's Elizabeth, 13 KJ on the right, he's 11, Matthew's 10. Um, I'm a very rich man. Okay. Housekeeping, I definitely uh, encourage interaction. Um, Whether you want to write down questions and and talk with me at the end, whether you want to put them in the back or whether you want to interrupt me, feel free. Um, the benefit of having so many friends here is I can delegate to almost anybody any question you have, so um, fire away. All right, so leadership in the home. Metaphorically speaking, I think it's fair to say that each one of us is piling our families into a car. We're buckling them in spiritually and physically, and then we're working really hard to try to get everybody home safely to heaven. This topic, leadership in the home, covers just about every topic in the Bible. It also covers communication, meeting physical, financial, spiritual needs, gaining credibility, seeking oneness, staying focused, being a protector, serving sacrificially, how to make godly decisions. The list goes on. But as I thought about what to talk with you guys about, I really came down on, if I had to pick three, what are the three things that I felt got the biggest bang for my buck, got me, my family the furthest down the street? And uh, I want to share those with you here today. Before I do, let me just share just a couple. Trevor mentioned that, um, you know, we, we each have a biblical, the speakers have a biblical worldview. This is my worldview. These are assumptions that I make 
So as you listen to what I'm saying, you can kind of filter it through these things. I believe that the Bible is without error. It's the only source of absolute truth. I believe that the Bible is authoritative. And what that means is that I have to obey it. And I also believe that my audience is mainly Christian men married to Christian women. I know that's not the case for everybody. This will apply to many, but those are the assumptions I'm making. So on that note, how many men here are either married or want to be married someday? Okay. How many of you have kids that are 12 and under? And how many of you have kids that are 12 and older? Okay. All right. Let's get going. All right. Number one. Must have number one. I need to get some space here. All right, the leader of the family must cultivate a biblical fear of God and then teach each member of the family the same. One of the things I like to do is I like to give you definitions. Fear is one of those words that is, um, has many different meanings to many different people. So, for example, uh, fear can mean reverence, respect, it can mean awe, but what do we mean when, what do I mean when I'm talking about fear? Well, the Bible defines fear with the Greek word phobeo. Phobeo means to put to flight by terrifying, to be afraid, to be struck with fear. We use phobeo in English as the word phobia. For example, if someone has a phobia of spiders, they don't have a respect or an awe or a reverence of spiders, they are terrified of spiders. Okay? So let's look at what the Bible teaches about fear. Solomon in the Old Testament is a man uniquely gifted by God with a wise and discerning heart. He wrote two books in the Old Testament on the topic of wisdom. And Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom instruction and instruction. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Note with me that God, that Solomon begins and ends these books of wisdom with the importance of fearing God and keeping his commandments. Godly knowledge begins with fearing God and the conclusion of fearing God is keeping his commandments. This thought is carried forward in the New Testament as well. So Matthew 10, 28 says, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then John three thirty six says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see the life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Here, the Bible gives me two commands and one truth. Command number one is do not fear people. Command number two is do fear God. And then the truth is to fear God equals obeying God. So the proper interpretation interpretation of these verses would be to fear God because Jesus commands me to do so and I fear God by obeying his commands. So in addition to avoiding the wrath of God, whatever that is, why else is fearing God beneficial for me and my family? Fearfully obeying God minimizes the unintended consequences of sin. There are cosmic consequences to sin that cannot be predicted, nor can I know who will be affected by those consequences. There are three examples 
that I can provide. There's plenty, but there's three examples um, about the unexpected consequences of not doing one thing that God commanded. So Moses, while he was leading a thirsty nation from Egypt to the promised land, was told by God to speak to a rock. If he did that, water would then be provided to the people. In a moment of weakness, Moses' anger at the grumbling of the people led him to hit the rock instead of speaking to it. What seemed like a small, non-important command cost Moses severely. God then declared to Moses that he had a lack of belief and would not allow Moses to enter into the Holy Land because Moses treated God as unholy. A little bit later in the story, upon entering the Promised Land, Israel was instructed to completely destroy a town called Jericho, and they were told not to take any of the treasure that they found there. God warned that if they did, that they would become accursed if they took any of this treasure. When no one was looking, Achan stashed a little gold and a little silver and hid it under his tent. Because of this infraction, not only did 36 Israeli soldiers die in the battle of Ai, but upon Joshua, the leader, discovering what happened, Joshua grabbed Achan, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and had them both stoned and burned. And then in the New Testament, you guys are familiar. In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira were killed for telling one small lie about how they handled real estate. So here's the question, guys. If God pulled each one of these people aside before they sinned and detailed exactly how much it would cost them and those around them if they sinned, do you think it would have made a difference in how they behaved? We hope so, right? Yeah. These men and women neglected just one of God's command and it cost them everything. Question, how seriously am I going to take these biblical warnings aimed at keeping me from unintended consequences of sin? So in conclusion, the most important way that I lead my family is to fear God and to fear him openly by keeping all of the commands in the New Testament. I recognize that my desire to get to know God can only happen if I present to God a sincere desire to fearfully keep his commands. Fearing God not only models faithfulness to my family, it also minimizes the temporal and eternal consequences of unintended sin. It also minimizes the temporal and eternal unintended consequences that flow from sins of neglect and sins of willfulness. So, if heaven is the destination I'm trying to lead my family, then staying clear of the path leading to hell has to be priority number one. So, if my family doesn't learn how to fear God from me, what are the chances they're going to learn it from someone else? Okay, so what did this look like for me? Well, to be honest with you guys, fearing God is not natural for me. I struggle with it even today. There are some I've met who just naturally understand spiritual truth and they react the right way. I don't. So the first thing I had to do is I had to pray for help. I prayed something along the lines of, God, you expect me to fear you and keep your commandments. And I confessed that I am hard-hearted and spiritually stupid because I say things to myself like, I can engage in sin now because I know you're going to forgive me later. Please forgive me. Please change my heart so that I fear you and keep your commands. Please change the hearts of my family also so that they will learn to fear you as well. Secondly, I wanted my family to understand that there's a difference between my rules and God's rules. 
to get to heaven safely, any of my rules could be negotiated, but none of God's could be. So every person living under my roof must understand this and they must agree. Finally, I wanted them to understand that embracing, fearing God and keeping his commands, it is likely that we're not gonna receive a lot of encouragement from our family, from neighbors, or even from other Christians. And I wanted them to know that that's okay. What we really want is we really want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from God, not from other men. Okay. That's all I have on fearing God. If you guys have any questions, if not, I am going to move on. Yes. Use your microphone, please. Number seven. What, uh, what did, uh, was it Paul who said love covers a multitude of sins? What does he mean by that? love for me covers a lot of my sins so I bank heavily upon that but I still have to fear him and keep his commands so I think I express my love for him by obeying him and repenting very quickly when I don't obey him thank you good question alright if you have more questions write them down and come back to them later <clears throat> alright must have number two The leader of the family must know God's word and faithfully apply his truth to the challenges of life. He must also teach each member in his family how to do the same. What's the Bible say? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the word of Christ which richly dwell within you. All right, gentlemen, imagine a future scenario with me. This takes place in heaven. I have died, and I find myself standing before the Lord. I realize with perfect clarity that this is the 2 Corinthians 5.10 moment. In other words, this is where I will be recompensed for my deeds done in the earth according to what I have done, whether good or bad. Jesus says to me, Kevin, I would like us to review how you prioritized being diligent with handling my word over other activities during your time on earth. Before we begin, though, let me share how I helped you pass this test of being diligent. First of all, Kevin, your whole life, I gave you the ability to think and to read and to understand. Not all of my children were given this gift, but I wanted you to have it. Unlike almost every other generation of my children before you, I provided you with virtually unlimited access to the Bible. They sit on bookshelves and hotel rooms everywhere. I placed you in a period of time that was relatively free from war and from conflict so that you would have more time to focus on my word. I placed you in a country that did not try to kill you for studying my word. I then gave you tools and resources from my children who lived before you to do the hard work of translating Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek into English so that you could easily understand what I said. Finally, I gave you access to faithful men who were willing to teach you how to study the Bible in a way that I approve. So, Kevin, in light of these gifts that I have provided you, please show me how you prioritized my word over other activities like work, family, sleep, and entertainment. So, in your mind, gentlemen, is this something reasonable that my king could ask me? If yes, then I must conclude that studying God's word today is a primary focus for me and my family. Regardless of gifting or education level, 
I am expected to know the Bible and to use it in the way that God intends. The opposite of obeying this command is to prioritize family, work, sleep, and entertainment over the daily study of his word. It's another reason. Romans 6.12 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, another question for you. Did God send his son to die for me so that I could keep living the exact same life that I always lived? Transforming from who I am today to the likeness of Jesus is why I am still here. Once given the gift of salvation, I am expected to learn how to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. I am also expected to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Instructions on how to live, how to love, how to behave in a manner that pleases God are all found in his word. So, the Bible is the only source of objective truth available to the follower of Christ. God expects me to know the Bible, understand it, accurately obey what it says, and then teach others to do the same, including my family. So, if I don't pass the test of accurately handling God's word, what are the chances that my family will? This is how this looks, looked, looks and looked in my life. Once this kind of set in for me, I realized that um, I needed to repent. I knew that in order to become a man of the word means I had to take time to study and that would be both inconvenient and my priorities were going to have to change. I wanted to tell God that I was sorry for allowing other good things like family, work, entertainment take priority over maybe the most important thing, studying his word. I also repented for being more ignorant than I should be given the gifts that he's given me. Then I needed to ask my wife Carrie if she would give me time to catch up with Bible study. I would absolutely try to wake up early or stay up late to minimize the inconvenience, but there were going to be conflicts and I needed her help to navigate those. Maybe most importantly, I committed to God that if he revealed how I should behave in scripture, that I would apply it, I would obey it. I realized that Bible study without application is a waste of time and I needed help from the Holy Spirit to prevent that from ever happening. Finally, I committed to God that I would try to study his word one hour each day. And this terrified me because I know that my habits are garbage. And I would need help learning how to study in a productive way. Praise God. He provided men and the tools I needed to do this and I'm forever grateful. But like training for a marathon, one may need to start small and build up over time. That said, determine before God that this is a priority and figure out how to get there. If you don't know how to study the Bible, there's a workshop tomorrow that'll show you three simple steps on how to do it. Any questions on this? It's a benefit about having you guys on Friday night. You're so tired. This is where it's fun and interactive. I should, I, I should, uh, we should pick up a little bit here. Okay. Must have number three. The leader must know God's calling, perform faithfully against that purpose, and help each member to do the same. All right. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done saying, 
my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Second Thess 1.11 says, to this end, we pray for you always that our God will count you count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Purpose is defined as to set forth or an intention. God has his purpose for what he's doing in heaven and on earth and each of his children are called to participate with him in that arena. To be clear, God does not need his children to be faithful in order to fulfill his purpose. He will accomplish all his good pleasure with or without me. That said, note how Paul prays that the faithful Thessalonians would be considered worthy of their calling. So, gentlemen, on the basis of what do I hope God will someday say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you. God's purpose for saving me and then leaving me on earth is so that I would walk in the good works which he prepared beforehand, knowing that I will be held eternally accountable to how I perform against the calling he has given me. Let me say that one more time. God's purpose for saving me and then leaving me on earth is so that I would walk in the good works which God prepared beforehand, knowing that I will be held eternally accountable to how I perform against the calling which he has given me. Jesus saved me, he forgave me, and he gave me a job to do until he returns. He equips me perfectly to do this job, he gives me the Holy Spirit as his helper, and then promises never to give me more than I can handle. He expects faithfulness from me and will hold me accountable to how I perform against this expectation. So if I truly desire one day to hear, well done, then I should make the most of my time and live every minute faithfully doing what I ought to do according to his purpose for me. The opposite of this is I can neglect the purpose he has called me by following my fleshly desires and chasing a worldly definition of success. So, how do I discover the purpose God has for me? And I'm really glad you guys asked that question. Okay, it's my favorite slide. Ian's having a heart attack because he's a marketing guy and he knows how bad it is when a sales guy creates a slide, but I am proud of this slide. (sighs) Purpose is humbly and faithfully living out God's commands through the roles he has placed me. Let me say it again. Purpose is humbly and faithfully living out God's commands through the roles, R-O-L-E-S, he has placed me. When some think of purpose, they think of Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. To be sure, some men are called to represent Jesus as a foreign missionary or as a pastor at the local church. However, most men I speak with on this topic of purpose appear to be called to represent Jesus right where they are living and working today. In other words, for most Christians, God has them exactly where he wants them to be and he is expecting faithfulness. Purpose is the filter through which I make decisions each day and how the time I have been given is invested. As we walk through these different roles, your job today is to pick one that needs God's help right now the most. Each one of us are in different seasons. Pick one and try to make one expectation of God's a reality for going forward. Does that make sense? I'll show you what that looks like. I mean, we can stay here if you want. I mean, this... I get it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This is the most important role, in my opinion. If you don't get enough sleep each night, how effective are you going to be at being a good father or a good employee? 
if you don't exercise and take care of your body, how well can you finish this race strong? So for me, the role of self is most important, starting out of the gates. Not most important, but cannot be neglected. Hello? One of, the, one of the questions I ask myself is, what physical or spiritual changes would God have me work on for this season of my life? Watch with me, gentlemen, how application is made. You guys remember this verse? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. All right. So I wanted to make application in the direction of being diligent to his expectation for me to grow spiritually. First thing I had to do is acknowledge that my habit of Netflix is causing a lot of problems for me waking up in the morning. And what that really meant is I just love sleep more than studying his word. So I had to ask God for forgiveness there. Set my alarm at 4.45, Monday through Saturday. My goal is to have coffee with Jesus at five. And, and I consider my quiet time, which is kind of my just read, do a devotional, do some verse memory. I wanted just my general relationship with God. I wanted that to be different than study. I, I, I draw a difference between those two. I wanted at five o'clock to have my coffee with Jesus. And at six, I wanted to be studying the book of Daniel for one hour. I also, I also have some guys that love me and will annoyingly hold me accountable when I tell them something. So I asked them to hold me accountable to this. And I also gave my wife permission to literally kick me out of bed if I was still there after five. And I'm working on to go to bed at nine. Does that make sense, guys? See how, see how a expectation is broken down into real life application? The same thing can be done for other goals like laziness, verse memory, um, exercise, whatever, whatever spiritual or physical goal that you feel God would have you work on, if he has an expectation, just break it down into what that looks like in your life tomorrow. Any questions? Okay. All right. Husband. I won't read all that, but that's Ephesians 5, 25 to 29. Being a husband is prioritized for me after self since God attaches a permanent expectation to marriage. A husband is expected to be the head of the family, to love his wife as Christ loved his church, to live with her in an understanding way, to cherish her, to wash her with the word, and to serve her until death. Other than that, it's not very hard at all. So every expectation from God regarding marriage is important and must be faithfully applied. Here are a few of them, what they look like for my marriage. Noticing a pattern here? I look at these expectations and realize that I'm falling short and I needed to repent. Another thing that I realized is I didn't assume that biblical authority or godly submission was understood by my wife. I also didn't assume that that would be easy for her. These biblical concepts are countercultural in the church today, and they were contrary to how she was raised, and they're not how her, her social circle and influence thinks. In many ways, <coughs> biblical authority and godly submission going to be a new idea and there's a ton of emotional risk associated with it. So I had to repent to God for not being the husband or leader he expected me to be and I had to ask for forgiveness and for help. Next thing I wanted to do was Psalm 139, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in, in me Lead me in the everlasting way. God, am I using my wife? What area of my life 
am I using her instead of serving her? He'll answer that prayer if you ask him. I cannot use my wife and serve her at the same time. Next, I repented to my wife for not being the husband and leader God expected me to be. I wanted her to know that I was sorry for wasting time and energy on things that don't eternally matter. I knew I needed to establish a vision for the marriage that revolves around fearing God, living with purpose, and loving others. Here's what not to do. I'll tell you a story about Menlo and Louisa. A husband, Menlo, hears about being the leader of the family from a conference like this one and gets convicted that he needs to do better. He then races home to educate his wife. Menlo storms into the house while his wife, Louisa, is juggling unruly kids, trying to make dinner with three loads of laundry. Louisa, I need you to understand something. I'm the God-given head of this family, and you must submit to me. You're no longer driving this ship. No, sir. I'm in charge now. From now on, what I say goes, and I don't want to hear any back talk or complaining because that would be disrespectful to the God's, God's purpose for this family and the role he put me in. What do you have to say to that, Louisa? Louisa, a little stunned and reeling, replies, Menlo, thank you. That sounds wonderful. And I am so excited to see you, to support you as the leader that God's called you. I am ready to follow. I'm ready to help and I'm ready to do whatever you suggest. You say jump, Menlo. I say how high. I can't wait to see how God blesses our family through your wise and godly leadership. On that note, dear Menlo, can I ask a few questions of you so that I can clarify this new direction we're going in? Menlo staggers a little bit. Yes. Menlo, can you tell me exactly where our family is going with this new leadership of yours? What details can you share with me on getting there? And how will we know when we're off track and need to course correct? Please, Menlo, I'm so excited for you to share with me your plan for getting us all home safely and for Jesus to tell us all, well done. Well, Louisa, Menlo says, there's another conference next year. I'll let you know then. What's for dinner? Men, please don't be men, though. One man's opinion. If you come to her, your wife, and say, hey, I've got this new plan, just notice the terror that comes over her eyes. So, I wanted to let Carrie know that I've been thinking and praying about a new vision and purpose for our family, and I wanted to get her thoughts. When would be a good time? What's the best way to handle this, Carrie? What logistics with the kids, the environment, what can I do to help us have a productive discussion on a really important topic? But let me tell you something really important. There's nothing to be anxious about. I'm just in information gathering phase. This, nothing's gonna change. I just wanna get your opinion. That said, let's create an environment where we can have an important discussion. Okay. So, let's talk about where we're going, how to get there, when we're off course. All right. So, we have a good environment. The kids are mostly out of our hair. And I say, Carrie, let's talk about where we're going. We're going to heaven. The earth is not our home. Soon, the earth will be burned up. The Bible is our map, our roadmap to get to heaven. How are we going to get to heaven? God gave us his commands. We're going to obey them, all of them, even the ones that are hard. We're also going to trust God to meet all of our needs. 
And then we're going to focus our time, money, and capacity in the direction of the calling he has given us. How will we know if we're off track? Well, we're going to love people and not things. In fact, we're going to use things to love others, but we will never use people to love things. I don't know if I have this as a slide. Yeah. Finally, Carrie, I need you to know that God's going to hold me accountable, not you. However well our family fares is not your responsibility. It's mine. If I drive us off a cliff, lead us around in circles, or ruin us financially, I have to answer to God, not you. God held Adam accountable, not Eve, and he will do the same for me. So I promise to search the scriptures for guidance, seek counsel from trusted men, and listen closely to what you tell me. However, at the end of the day, it's my butt on the line, not yours. If I have to make the final call, please don't fight me on this one. The role of husband is one of love, kindness, mercy, and truth. Today, I need to work on applying God's expectations to my role as husband. I also need to let him take responsibility for changing her. The focus is on me, not on changing her. Then, be patient. Being a godly leader is not a heat, godly leader is not a heat-seeking miss, missile looking to destroy its target. It's a humbling, repentant, daily focus on helping the family identify true north and then slowly removing the barriers in the way. All right, one more. Any questions? Last one. Let's talk about father. So you guys, if you guys are familiar with the Bible, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about the role of father. It does have some things, but not a lot. And I think that's on purpose. But train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's Proverbs 22, 6. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Obedience, fearing God, and learning the scriptures applies to the children God has given me stewardship over. My goal as a father is to humbly lead my kids in the direction of Jesus while navigating cultural pitfalls and trying to avoid a stumbling block, trying to avoid being a stumbling block in their journey to know him. Jesus says, permit the children to come to me. Yet I know that the world is in the power of the evil one. I need to understand that everything will be working against me in my efforts to get my children home safely. This task is not easy, nor is fatherhood for the weak of heart. Yet there is hope. As I look to apply these truths in my family, understanding the phases of parenting has been very helpful to me. This is... This is gold. This was given to me. I'm going to give it to you. I think it's amazing. How you relate to your, this is how I broke down how I relate to my children. I put in three different phases. Zero through 12, breaking the will. Ages 12 to 15, helping them think. Ages 15 and older, help them depend upon Jesus. First phase. Goal is to break the will of the child. Yes is yes, and no is no on the first time. To anybody who's been a parent, this is a bloodbath. Supposing you both survive, what your goal is, is to tell them what to do and not explain why. Children zero to 12, unless you have a prodigy, um, do not understand what God expects. Do not understand what is good. Do not understand how to be right in the eyes of God. That's your job. 
So I tell them what to do, I don't explain why, and I let them know that this is not a negotiation. However, if conflict happens, it's my goal to win at all costs, no matter what. We've all had the eat your peas conversation. At some point, it becomes a battle of wills. The father has to win. Even if it's not, we're not, it's not even talking about something important anymore. Just win. Story I'll share with you guys is my um, KJ, who's now almost 12. He was two, and we were outside uh, one of our favorite restaurants in Phoenix. And anybody with young kids can relate. The best thing you can do before you go to eat is to make them run around for half an hour beforehand. Uh, it saves everybody a lot of pain. Um, so they're running around outside, and it's a parking lot. And um, I look away for two seconds, and KJ's gone. He's running toward, He's running down a ramp because ramps are highly attractive to kids, and I don't understand why, but they are. He's running down a ramp and he's running right into the sh a busy street. I have a half a second to say, KJ, stop. He froze, and a half a second later, an SUV flies by at 40 miles an hour. Had KJ not stopped, I would be telling you about my son, who I used to have. I don't know when it's going to matter for you and your kid, but if your kid thinks that he can no negotiate, it may not be a good time to do that sometimes. All right. Any questions about first phase? No? Okay. All right. Second phase. Help them think. So my daughter's 13 now. I can, I can relate a little bit to this one. The goal is to help them rely less on me and more on Jesus. As they get older, they will eventually move out of my authority and have less parental authority. This phase of parenting is about preparing children for the next phase. Boys are entering the world of men and girls are entering the world of relating to women. Though I desire with all my heart to have a relationship with my kids, when they are an adult, I cannot control that. The role of the father in this phase is to move from drill instructor to one of coach and friend. A couple helpful things are when something comes up, explain God's expectations and ask them to come up with the application themselves. God loves this. God hates that. What does that look like for you? Let's talk about it. Fun and credibility are my currency. I should invest them wisely. Trevor, am I over on time? Okay. No more than five minutes. Last phase. Help them come up with their own convictions based on their calling. One of my jobs is to provide them with resources that they need to help them fulfill their calling. Also, failure is a wonderful mentor when the stakes are small. Fun and credibility, fun and credibility are still my currency with my child, and my goal is to invest them wisely there. All right, a couple more. So with parenting, a couple things that I wanted to make sure is that um, focus on my marriage first. The kids should never come up, could never come in front of their relationship with the mom. Raising my kids on my knees, this is all wonderful information, but it's God that moves hearts. You can do the best you can, and that's what I believe an expectation is, but it's God that moves hearts. I try to apologize and ask for forgiveness to my kids as much as possible. I'm a hypocrite. I am irrational. 
but I also don't want to give them a, a ground to dig rebellion in. I also wanted to demonstrate what repentance looks like. I'm not perfect, and I need them to know that God doesn't, what to do when we fall short of what God asks us to do. Another helpful tool, ask, don't accuse. That has saved me a lot. Okay, so in conclusion, as we look at the topic of um, leadership in the home, I kind of feel like Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, 45, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? For the men sitting here today, my hope is that you guys would say what Isaiah said, here I am, Lord. Send me. Okay. Any last questions before we pray and dismiss? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Any other questions? All right. Heavenly Father, Lord. The job you have given us to do, to love others, to sacrificially give, to know how to make wise decisions, to even know what the right thing to do. Lord, we need you in every single part of that. Father, you promise us that if we seek you, you'll provide us all these things. God, we give you our wives, we give you our children, Please, Lord, let them see your goodness. Let them grow in their relationship with you. Father, bless them with you more than you've blessed them, more than you've blessed me. I pray that you encourage these men. I pray that you fill them with help and resources. And um, Lord, I just want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to depend upon you every second of the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kev. Great job. Really appreciate it. All right, guys.